Connor Cast. My name's Kat Boyd, and I'm joined with my lovely co-host David Jameson. How's it going? You'll notice the uh, <laughs> slight hesitation there. Um, <laughs> I forgot your name. Kat forgot my name. Uh, Kat in recent months has been suffering from, well, motherhood. Very, yeah, motherhood. Various <laughs> symptoms of baby brain, um, post baby brain, uh, and so on. <laughs> Um, but I, I was thinking, I mean, I was about when we were talking about cat's baby brain, which I also suffer from, but that's, uh, do you know what I mean? That's a permanent, uh, lifetime, lifelong uh, yeah. experience. Um, I was going to say to her, but I thought I'd save it for the recording that, um, this, our return after months of being away, um, it, it's a wee bit like when you have a heavyweight boxer returning, uh, when they're 40 years old to the ring, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, um, somewhat, you know, mentally not quite where they, where they were. Um, but, you know, so, those are some of my favourite uh, fights. You know, when you've got... Um, <laughs> when you've got... Uh, what's his name who did the... You know, George Foreman. George, an aged George Foreman coming back and shocking the world with how good he still is when he's about 50 years old, right? Right, well, I'm just going to like have to lower your expectations there. You're not going to be George Foreman? I'm not going to be George Foreman. I can't remember your name. I don't know who the Prime Minister is anymore, although I'm not sure that makes me different from most of the population. Uh, it doesn't, it certainly, I mean, not being able to remember the names of people <laughs> you've known for many years wouldn't make you that dis- different from like many heavyweight boxers to be fair <laughs> yeah but I've not had head trauma yeah <laughs> um no I've just been I'm slowly suffering from motherhood although suffering's not the right word I've been experiencing the joys of but also the yes the challenges of but mostly mm-hmm. the joys like mm-hmm. I don't really want to do anything apart from like look at my baby mm-hmm um no no understandable um I mean that that thing that's a thing about parenthood that does scare me as a concept is the uh, the sleepless nights I'm someone who, I am someone who does not function at all without yeah. sleep well see the thing like I got really lucky because I do have quite a good sleepy baby like so mm. last night I slept for like seven hours without waking uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I don't do that you know do you know I mean so that's that's a miracle that's yeah. amazing so yeah I got very lucky with the baby and when they were giving out the babies <laughs> yeah when the stork was dropping off babies I got very lucky with my delivery mm-hmm. um but yeah there have been a few sleepless nights and see the next day I'm like it, it's real madness territory like there's a reason that they use sleep deprivation as a torture tactic yeah after two days of that, you don't know who you are anymore. Yeah, you like, lose I would, all. I would literally acquiesce to anything. Yeah, you, you lose all kind of judgment, don't you? Yeah, completely. Everything. I remember. I remember. Um, I'm one of these idiots who, like, when I was at university, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't, um, sort of do any work on my dissertation till about two weeks before I. I had remember. Yeah. <laughs> and um. And I, I sort of didn't sleep for several days. It's probably my longest period of sleep deprivation to get it done. And uh, the day I went to hand it in, I almost got hit by a car because <laughs> I was sort of because you sort of lose a sense of like where you are and stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I've honestly, in the last 12 weeks, I have said and done some of the daftest things mm. just because I'm like, yeah, just because it's, it's a disorientating experience. Do you know what I mean? Suddenly being like, I'm responsible for this like whole little life. Um, but like being dead happy about that as well. I think when I was younger, I always assumed that, you know, motherhood would be this like great burden and mm. um, that I would like now have a responsibility and that would be terrible, but it's actually super exciting. Mm. I'm like, this is so, it's just so sappy. Like I'm just a big sap. Like when I go and wake her up in the morning and I look into her car and she's like looking back at me like, hey. And uh, does I'm it like, put... Hey, baby. <laughs> <laughs> does it put things in perspective you know like all the stuff we discuss on this on this podcast does it seem well how does it seem does it seem remoter does it seem uh less important does it seem like in some ways more important a lot of it seems like a lot of the the stuff we talk about seems more stupid Mm. like a lot of it (laughs) a lot of like there's just a lot that i'm like this is this is meaningless right but I think this is a more general problem like of the left as a whole rather than just an observation of like me becoming a maw is that we tend to think very immediately that where we are is the moment like Mm. this is the crisis these are the strikes and this is the movement right this is the downfall like with capital t capital d right i mean it's we tend to like see like our own part of history as being this really significant moment Mm. Um, whereas actually like in the grand scheme of things this is these are just other little bumps bits changes turns in a road that's much longer and do you know what i mean i think that like we we often lack historical perspective. Having a baby gives you some degree of historical perspective because mm. you look into your baby's eyes and you're like, I have seen eternity. Like that's what it feels like. It's like mm. it's a foreverness. Um, which is very, very odd. It was kind of like doing mushrooms, I guess. I mean, I, I always think that, yeah, it's that thing of um you're doing something that every organism before you in a chain going back millions and millions and millions and millions of years has done. But, you know, all the way back to the primordial gloop, whatever that is, right? I've heard a lot about it, but I have have, have no idea. How does the primordial soup exist under the ocean? Is the the ocean soup at that point? No, David, do not open open this discussion, right? Because Uh. I had a very very idiotic conversation with james about where the primordial ooze came in relation to the dinosaurs which i am absolutely too embarrassed to reenact mm. um but anyway let's say uh, so i'm not the person to speak to about that remember like i go to catholic church we think the world was like invented two thousand years ago or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah you don't believe in the soup um <laughs> so uh but even you know yeah, it must it must throw things into perspective to an extent because, you know, if if human civilization is what ten or twelve thousand years old, um, that's something people yeah. have been doing for that for that entire duration. Of course, of course and right? there have been plenty of 
crises and rises and falls and so on for that entire period this is what i mean right so it's really given me this like weird historical perspective which i've spoken to you about before in but like particularly about like the generations of my family and like how that has like how that charts a particular period of social change in, in history the when you look at from a distance will be like quite a I think significant shift in uh, like do you know what I mean in um, the way that one generation has been better off than the other but it's also an anomaly so what I mean by that is that like I've been thinking a lot about my family and where my family are from and you know like my on my dad's side like you know being minors um on my mom's side like you know Irish immigrants and living in Garngad like essentially living in slums and how in the space of two generations well I mean here I am in my bougie flat with my baby mm. and that can that's quite disorientating I think mm. um, because because that's a very very short period of time like the period of time between like my grandfather being born in like the Rose Hall Rose mining cottages his first memory being the 1926 general strike mm. I mean that's nothing like then, in terms of, of historical progression it's a very short space of time it's no and, time at all here's the mad thing is see when you were a kid if your granddad said to you my first memory was the general strike and that was 1926 right i'd be like what are you talking about but all but also yeah you would have thought what the hell's that means under me but you also if you if you were a bit cognizant of that period of how long ago that was you would have thought yeah well of course because like you're like an ent do you know what i mean like you're an ancient creature yeah who totally has come from a completely that's different what i mean time. that's what and i mean now, I would have been like yeah but that's like the olden days i know i know i could you could have you could have said like Oh, I was alive during the French Revolution. You'd be like, yeah, no. So or what? Like, like I once like dipped my foot in the primordial ooze. <laughs> yeah. But now that like we are halfway to being the age of our grandparents, you actually realize <laughs> you actually realize what an incredibly short period of time a lifespan is. Modern industrial capitalism's barely 200 years old. Yeah. We have been happened. we have been alive for a very significant portion of that. <laughs> For all of the history of capitalism, we have that's, lived that's through why a big chunk of it. It's so successful. Mm. Because, like, it is so, it's that thing about, like, uh, that Zizek talk, talks about um, before Zizek went all mad and signed that Ukraine letter and shit, um, mm. before he shut out his own ideology, he would say that thing about, like, it's easier to imagine the end of capitalism than it is, that it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. That's and part so of what new. makes what? And yet it's so new. It's so new. It's such yeah. a new thing. Um yeah. And it but it's also that 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 thing we're always talking about with Christopher Lash and the, the loss of a sense of historical time. Yeah. Like, we have no sense of historical perspective anymore. None That's whatsoever. Why I feel disorientated thinking about like, you know, so my baby is named after someone else in my family who is like my great great aunt. And she lived with my mum. So my mum like lived in a house with someone who like grew up in the 1800s. Mm. Do, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, see that idea to me? I'm like, what? You might as well be drawing like cavemen <laughs> on the wall. But that, isn't it such an interesting thing that on the one hand, we tend to think of 
our current social arrangement of capitalism as sort of ancient mm. and yet and timeless and also as you say there's a constant thing on the left of um this is the vital time so it's an ancient it's, it's, a, it's a it's a system with a very very long lineage and we happen to be born and live in the speck of time which is the crucial moment in the development of that entire system and both of those attitudes are wrong and they should push in the opposite direction if you think the system's really old then you should be doubtful as to whether you, the part you play in it in, in its historical lineage is the vital one and yet there's a there's a constant presence of both these ideas the system is old i've arrived at its end yeah um, and both of the ideas are kind of fundamentally dodgy so i mean um we hosted a talk with chomsky last night and i have obviously lots of respect for chomsky but i he did kind of reiterate some of those ideas that, that humanity is facing extinction level kind of threats one being envir environmental collapse the other being thermonuclear war i have to say in recent months i'm somewhat more worried about the second one right um but <clears throat> i just think you know over that span of thousands of years of human civilization human beings have quite consistently predicted the apocalypse and you know it, it seems to be kind of a, a mood again and i just don't know what to make of it yeah <clears throat> i mean i think that <clears throat> there is a degree of comfort in asserting your own sense of agency having arrived at the end of capitalism do you know what i mean mm. like especially mm. like for some like being on the far <clears throat> left do you know what i mean it, it does give you a sense of uh, yeah a bit of power do you know what I mean? You're in, a, in an otherwise like sort of like smudge of nothingness <laughs> that is time. It gives you a sense of like, well, I've arrived at the end, but I can force this crisis. I can expose these cracks. And do you know what I mean? There's definitely like, that's part of how I feel about politics and like a role within it is like, you know, the politics of rupture and exploding those ruptures and things. Um, Where was I going with that thought? All, all that stuck in my head, right, is that I saw someone on Twitter, a good friend of uh, ours, referring to Chomsky as fossilized. <laughs> That's all that's stuck in my head. That's I know what how I you feel about respect for the elderly as well. I know. I honestly, I think that's elderly. <clears throat> yeah. I think it's amazing that like Chomsky is so old and still going. I mean, he's he's dedicated. I mean, you you've got to say that for him. Um, I think he's 93 and he's still uh he's still as eloquent really as he's ever been yeah um and he's so, definitely not on those like mad life preserving shots that clearly joe biden is getting no he isn't and he's all you know what i mean it's like i kind of i kind of want to know the the noam chomsky secrets to eternal you know, life <laughs> eternal youth yeah um I mean, he must, I don't know. I, I can't imagine he ever went through a bout as Jordan Peterson did of like eating only meat or something and causing a, a brain meltdown. Yeah. I'd love to I'd love to know that what the Chomsky diet is for good mm -hmm. brain health. I like I have a really sneaking suspicion he probably has an allotment. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think he's a sort of grow your own veg kind of guy. Mm. Spends a spends a lot of time outside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I think he's also, see with guys as well who, like he's always been slim. And see, see a thing about, well, we will never know about Abraham Lincoln, right? But certainly um, Eamon de Valera, he lived to, I think, 93, actually, same age. Eamon de Valera famously barely ate anything. Uh, so Abraham Lincoln, likewise, and he was famously like, full of energy, Abraham Lincoln, and sort of very youthful, up until the point when he was shot. But, but like both of them didn't eat dinner. I think oh, that's right. a big one. So Eamon de Valera had a cup of black tea for dinner <laughs> every day. This is so good. This is, I, I think for Christmas, you should release the Eamon de Valera diet plan. Yeah. Like, um, I, I think this is a winner. I think I think this would sell. But yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think yeah, I mean, he was skinny as a rake and relatively like he was in good health until he was in his nineties. I think like Matt weirdly, I I mean I, I think people eat far too much. I don't know why <laughs> suddenly. <laughs> Wait, I recently introduced um, James to the concept of mukbang. Oh man. That is grim stuff. Like that is that is like no wonder people hate the West. It's so disgusting. Like so, Richard, for anyone who hasn't heard of this before, basically, I'll do my best to explain it through my fuzz. Um, mukbang was it started off like um with a lot of Asian YouTubers who would um like do like kind of like talk about the food that they were eating on video. So they would do like a, you know, a video in a restaurant and they would talk about all the like different flavors and they would, it was all about like regional cuisine. Like it was very popular in uh, South Korea. You would have these YouTubers who would go and they would like try different, different dishes and they would talk about it. Now, the beauty of the West is that they have taken this idea and they have transformed it into people binge eating, like masses of food or and live streaming it so it's like these people just like ramming food like getting like a massive takeaway like ordering like two of everything off the menu in mcdonald's like everything huge like having chicken nuggets like strewn across the floor I, like even thinking about it i'm just it makes me sick i think it's anti-socialist first and foremost like there's well. I'm just like this is fucking disgusting it's so decadent and like oh it's, it's so undisciplined and just grotesque and then they have you, stream it and then they show it to the world and then people watch it I mean I had to have, hang up on someone the other day because they were eating on the phone yeah um have you seen the guy oh god I wish I knew his name um he's a guy he's like an American guy but he's living I remember if it's Latin America or something, something like that. He went out there as a really skinny guy. Um, Is it got... Nick, Nick Avocado? Yeah. I can't believe I know that. I cannot believe this is where we've got to in life. That uh, Nick Avocado has taken up space in my tiny brain. Yeah. So he, this guy explodes from about, I don't know, 100 to 350 pounds. In about two or three years, right? Because he's doing this stuff. He's do he's like four or five nights a week. He's ordering 
three or four hundred dollars worth of junk food and it setting it up on a huge table in front of him and just eating it all and he goes he is i think he he ends up around 360 or something pounds uh and like it's killing him you can see it's killing him but the thing is he's made millions of dollars from it uh and he lives in like this luxurious apartment and stuff because you can make money you can monetize it but it's like his his addiction to making money is like literally killing him in front of everyone's eyes sorry he's only 30 Aye, and he's he's huge like like, so i'm looking him up on the internet just now right he describes himself as king of mukbangs right he's got uh 922,000 subscribers on one of his channels um like on his main channel he's got millions like and combined seven million people are subscribed to this channel but see the thing that's mad about this is like i mean i'm guilty as well because i've watched some of these videos right have you watched it i've watched like a couple of the videos to see the phenomenon right there's like there's a whole like bit on this which is there's a video called celebrating our 700 pound milestone mcdonald's mukbang <laughs> see the, the mad thing about it is why people are addicted to watching this it's, it's like a doom view it's like it's people people are trying to depress themselves to feel something right but it's a genuinely horrible to watch it's sort of like uh you're watching i mean you're watching someone like i say slowly kill themselves yeah because the top comment on this 700 pound milestone mcdonald's mukbang the first comment is um who else comes back annually just to see if this guy is still alive yeah yeah so and there's loads of famous kind of like quotes under his videos saying things like not much longer now bro and all this kind of stuff so it's is he wearing some kind of like device that helps him eat food faster no he 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 wears a thing that helps him breathe what's he's eating (laughs) i've just been shown an image of him he he wears that ostensibly to help him breathe right well like eating perhaps but he's 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 sort of uh or is that like is that just a side issue is that not like a thing he's playing up to it as well like he constantly with his how he titles his videos and so on he constantly plays up to three orange juices (laughs) stop showing me this guy is grim he constantly he constantly plays up to the idea that he's dying and that so and and because he knows that it it attracts more people to come and watch right that's how twisted they're both wearing it yeah so he has a boyfriend and his boyfriend has also put on not quite as much weight but he's still put on a lot of weight through doing all this stuff i want i worry i wonder about the dynamics of that relationship this is do you know what that that is just like recruitment fodder for like isis surely no no but it, i mean so anyway i mean it's like it's hideous uh it's hideous to watch that stuff but uh yeah but what's weird about that phenomenon is like yeah people are returning time after time to see if see how bad he's gotten see how how big he's gotten see how much he's destroyed his life i can't understand the psychology of the people doing it they don't seem stupid in fact they seem like like he's got the guy himself nicado avocado whatever 
he uh, he seems like a like a clever businessman. Like his performances in the videos are quite smart and stuff. He cuts them and stuff in a way that encourages people to keep coming back for more. But it it looks like a cycle of addiction that everyone's been kind of dragged into. A bizarre phenomenon. Do you think it's like, is it the modern day version of like a Victorian freak show? Yeah, I think I think so, except that with it's le- it's a Victorian freak show in a sense is less like damaging because, okay, you turn up to see that, right? You turn up to, to gop at the um at the freaks uh and in that sense you're feeding the industry that means they travel around the country or whatever but with this you're actively involved in the suicide loop (laughs) by by subscribing to those videos and monetizing them you're actually encouraging the performance you're encouraging these two guys to like incrementally die so it's horrible like i find it genuinely disturbing it is that is and it is i mean i'm not one of these sort of fans of we'll get on social media moderation in a minute but i'm not one of these big fans of social media moderation i generally are towards the you can't really stop people doing a lot of stuff like you need you need laws around certain things for the sake of having a functioning society but prohibition sort of generally doesn't work results in bizarre you can't ban well can't ban a guy getting fat right i mean if i was in charge whatever i mean by that i suppose i mean like if say i was like a super billionaire with the ability to buy social platforms what i would ban immediately is people filming themselves eating (laughs) Which is like this is an actual thing that I have. Like there's a name for this like phobia. And it's like mm. if I if I hear someone eating like on the phone, um, or like I see someone like eating on like a Zoom call or something, it it honestly is my version of nails down a blackboard. Mm-hmm. I don't mind people like doing their mukbangs, getting fat, like doing food reviews, but I think that maybe I don't know, it should be driven underground and made unattainable by the average internet user. The thing I, I mean to me that lifestyle is a nightmare because yeah. I, uh, I I'm one of these people I don't really like other people watching me. So to do that, a ve- that's a very nineties thing. It's a very generational thing. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a bit. I always think of that bit from Girl Interrupted, where there's a girl who won't eat in front of people. She'll only eat in a room, and her explanation is like, "Do you like people watching when you take a shit?" <laughs> <laughs> it's, a very, that's a, it's a very 90s thing but, but apparently the 90s are back yeah the, the 90s uh, body type is back thin is back in all right okay um, so i mean maybe we should we could all go on the john McLean diet oh yeah the porridge or water. indeed the eamon de valera diet black porridge tea water um, and yeah. black tea for dinner a bit of eamon de valera um yeah so thin is thin is back in apparently um well, don't tell Mikado Avocado. Um, before we get on to uh, Elon Musk Gate, which I, I am actually, and I don't think it's just a trivial story. I'm actually quite interested in it. But um, you, we've been we've been away for a, a mad bunch of stuff, talking about end times. You know what I mean? Uh, 
crazy. It's mad. So like when I was a kid, my mom had this book. <clears throat> it was like our little girl and it was a baby book. Did your family have one of these? Where it's like the time you were born, well, you're a second child, aren't you? You've got an older mm-hmm. brother. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. I think it's different when you just have one, right? Mm-hmm. You tend to be like this. Gotta is- remember everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, well, I had this book and it was like, you know, filling out my name. It's got my little like band that I had on my foot in the hospital, like baby boys and everything. But then there was a page of like, um, like current events, like what right. are the headlines? So like in my book, um, it's the minor strike from Born in 85, right? So it's all minor strike um, related headlines. Um, and I was thinking like, what am I? Oh, Give me one second. Little baby body of 2022 needs winded. No. I'll edit that bit out. That's cool. um, yeah, so it's all about the minor strike. And uh, I was thinking, like, so I've got the same book for Bella. In fact, it's almost, it's almost identical to the one that my mom had because my best friend works in a, a secondhand shop and someone brought one in. So I was like, amazing. So I've got this, like, really old-fashioned um, baby memory book. But I was like, what am I going to write in this? Like, and then I just start thinking about, like, what has happened since you were so first of all when she's born there's like it's during that insane heat wave where everyone is starting to do the world ending it's too hot climate crisis bit for there's the rmt strikes are on like and it's every like it's wall-to-wall coverage like i just remember like coming out of the hospital and being like just like just being so disorientated with this like big like wave of industrial action is happening this heat wave and then the queen dies then then there's truss then she tanks the currency and she gets she she gets kicked out first of all boris goes there's the sort of slow explosion of boris um yeah and i'm just like how am i gonna i like the box is that size i'm not gonna be able to fit all that in Mm-hmm. my baby's already lived under three pms and two monarchs that's i think that's more likely to be normal as we go on like yeah. that's what i mean is that that period of previous stability for like the kind of boomer generation for like our generation like the degree of stability is actually an anomaly yeah and then we're more likely to have these kind of like unstable times yeah uh, yeah that- what has happened a degree of Italianization, I think. It's like, um, you know, it's like when Sunak came in and uh, the BBC, well, at first, the media didn't pay enough attention to the fact that he was a first Asian PM. Um, and then the next day, you could tell editors had got a grip of the situation because it was wall-to-wall Hindu. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it was just like wall-to-wall, our first... Asian Prime Minister and they realised like editors had come in early in the morning I mean if you've ever been in a newsroom this is sometimes how it happens 
your editor comes in in the mornings like that, there's nowhere near enough Asian, right? <laughs> we need to start pumping out the Asian stuff. Go and find Rishi Sunak's Asian friends. Go and find his Asian auntie. Go and find out if he ever where he's been in India. Get me stories, 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 right? Um, and look, everyone's doing Asian today. I want Asian. Like, I, I'm not going to be out Asian by ITV. I'm not going to be out Asian by the sun. That's bullshit. This is, this is why Asian. you can't do satire anymore, because all of this is just too real. No, absolutely. I mean, that, that would have been a joke from, like, the thick of it or something, okay. uh, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, now, I mean, that is what happened, right? It was like that. But this is the thing, saying, oh, he's so young. He's only 43 or something. And he's Asian. And I just thought, these already sound like congratulations from a much older time. These already sound like really dated. Nobody cares anymore, right? That a politician is gay, a woman, Asian, whatever, right? And, you know, if you were paying attention, you haven't cared for a long time because it doesn't make any difference to anything. But, yeah. but even the pretense feels weak. Even, yeah. even, the, even the kind of the feeble media rounds of like, ooh, how far we've come and so on and so forth. Like, it feels antiquated. It feels like something that belongs to the 1990s or something. It feels suddenly ancient to make those sorts of references. Um, but the fact that he's young, the fact that he's... I, this is much more interesting. He's barely been in Parliament, right? It used to be British Prime Ministers. You'd expect them to be kicking around in Parliament for 20 years before they got a cabinet post, yeah. right? These days, it's not all unusual for people to enter cabinets having been in parliament for a few years or even to become prime minister within a few years. That's uncommon in our system. It's not uncommon in some of the European democracies further down the road of decay already, right? So, like, I think we're going to see a more rapid turnover of prime ministers. And I think they're generally going to be younger, less experienced, and like be these sort of um i mean rishi sunak and liz trust these are people who haven't done much with their lives like and and they're both relatively young uh in, in in terms of the traditions of the country they're not people who have these kind of long-term memberships i mean actually i mean i think both of them are members of various clubs around london right so that's still a thing the british ruling elite does but it's it's not like what it was it's not like you're part of a set who went to eat, joined the same gentleman's club, you stew in each other's juices, right, for 30 years and then become prime minister, by which point you've worked out your networks, your project, your attitudes, etc. Like, I think that it's, it's a much more kind <laughs> of like, it's a much more improvised, much less, there's much less content, much less substance to what's going on here. Much more kind of flighty. No, I agree. Um, it also makes like these characters much harder to control within the party because part of the function of that, as you so deliciously and delicately put it, stewing in each other's juices for 30 years, like AKA Piggate, 
if anyone remembers David Cameron's piggy, part of the function of those types of rituals within like elite private schools, gentlemen's clubs, et cetera, et cetera, is essentially compromise, right? Is that yeah. I know your secrets and you know my secrets, right? So if you're going to do me in politically, I'm going to do you in. And as soon as you start to like edge out of that, like traditional closed door establishment and into a new type of neoliberal elite establishment, it's much harder to 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 maintain control of these people for the ruling class do you yeah. know what I mean trust was just such an unmitigated disaster it was actually bordering on enjoyable to watch no what I find fascinating about trust as well is she's a, she's a classic kind of archetype of this type new type of politician no one saw her coming now people say Sunak did Sunak predicted that her unfunded tax cuts and spending plans when combined, would lead to panic in the markets. But what I mean is, Sunak didn't see how stupid she was coming. Like, didn't see that she she was simply, like, I mean, she was incompetent, but also that, um, like, she, she had nothing to throw back. I mean, that once the crisis hit, she had no response. She just floated along until she was decanted a couple of weeks later. Um, actually look there's a video of her that reminded me of the last month of my pregnancy where I recorded an episode of Undercurrent and um, which is that show I've been doing on YouTube mm. and it's um uh, it's on Scottish independence right and like loads of footage had to be cut of it of me because I'm so pregnant I'm so swollen and I'm just so done in like mm. this debate is raging amongst the guests around me and I'm just like hosting it going like this yeah, just sitting in the middle of this like argument, like a turnip, like like a big potato, right? Mm. That's what Liz trusted. She potatoed her way through. I mean, Aye. that was like, a... oh, that's me done now. <laughs> that press conference where she was like, I mean, the the big long gaps when she was asked. God, I love, I love that. Do you know, there's another. I like that bit where she the big long gap, and she goes, uh. Robert Peston, like that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> she does this thing that, like, I've mastered over the years, which is like when you need to go for a pee and you're out and about. Um, uh, but, like, there is, I mean, there's no public toilets, right? So you have to go into a pub or a cafe. What I do is, like, I sort of do this, like, hungry, roving eye, pretending that I'm looking for people I know. Oh, yeah. And I'll be like, um, oh, uh, mm. And then I just go to the toilet. So I assume that, like, because I've done this routine, the bar staff are then like, oh, she must be looking for someone or waiting for someone. So then I go uh -huh. to the toilet and then I just come back out and then I go. And that's what Liz Truss was doing at that press conference. She was, like, so hungrily and desperately looking for a face that she knew. Yeah. It was yeah. tragic. Yeah. And, the, and also, the only one she... that top tip from the Connor Cast pod for using pub toilets without having to buy anything. That is, that is good, actually. Um... <laughs> <laughs> inspect the tables like you're looking for someone um but no but and the person she eventually found she um she couldn't she couldn't remember what their you know, didn't know how their name worked do you know what i mean so it became apparent i mean i, I think it, any remaining hope in her and the tory party fell apart when she went pissed on like that uh but yeah and then the mad thing is like i this is because I've been watching too much Nakado Avocado, right? I want to see this person explode. I, I was I wanted to see Liz Truss come out at number 10. This is how sick, you know, the world has made me. And I wanted to see a break 
I wanted to see her like come. I want you to like. I want you to 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 be as humiliated as I would feel in your position. I actually I know like there's a performance there. She doesn't want to show you how embarrassed she is. She's trying to protect whatever her post PM career is going to be. You know her life's not over. She's rich, right? But um, I actually started watching her. I started to genuinely wonder if it was actually hitting her that hard. Mm. I actually thought, because I mean, honestly, I mean, I think that there are politicians who that kind of downfall does hit hard. David Cameron's largely disappeared from public life. And there's very particular circumstances for that. He let Britain leave the EU and the establishment will never forgive him for that. But David Cameron was in power for like six years, right? Uh, He was considered a disastrous PM by the end for that reason. Right. I mean, in elite circles, I mean, most people don't look at David Cameron and think, wow, what a wonderful PM. I just mean in those kind of media, banking, etc. circuits. Right. He he was seen as he was seen as a failure, put next to Liz Truss. You know, I mean it's uh different <laughs> Yeah, I know. But like I, I don't I didn't get a sense that, that Liz Truss actually felt humiliated or crushed or disgraced or anything like that. I don't I don't think she does. I think she probably th- says to herself, I wasn't given a proper run. This isn't this isn't really my fault. This is about factional tensions in the Tory party. And I think she'll go off now and I think she'll make quite a lot of money. Which is mad. Is so mad. Like and I, I genuinely don't think it's hurt her a more prop too much. You know what I mean? Like, if see if I was at the center of something like that, I think it would take me a long time to recover. I think it would be a thing where I would like, I'd be leaving number ten, and I'd be like, "Take me to rehab." Do you know? <laughs> I don't don't leave me on my own right now. Yeah, I would be like, I would go straight on a really messy, messy bender. Yeah. And like, do a yeah. Here, shave my head. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be like a Britney Spears. Like three days later, Liz Truss has shaved her head and is smashing a taxi in with a brawly or whatever, right? That would be me. Yeah, I'd shave my head um, and go crazy. But I don't know. I mean, I, Either I think... Either that or I would do the, um, the Father Ted Golden Cleric speech as my resignation. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh. Just put everybody in. Just be like, and now onto the liars. No, yeah, I would. I mean, I mean, imagine yeah, she comes out right. She stands at that podium for like three hours, giving a non-stop oration, airing everyone's secrets, burning all her bridges. Right? They'd eventually drag her away, I think. Um, but no, I mean, she 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 kept her composure and she's off to she's off to make some money. Um, and yet, you know, much like the death of the queen. Uh, I've sort of forgotten all about Liz Truss. Well, that I, what I could never really quite get right my head round with the Liz Trust. Give me a second. Okay, I'm back. Thing about, about Liz Trust, you were saying. Yeah, like I, I mean, I just couldn't really work out why they decided to get rid of Johnson. He had it stitched up. He had the whole. I remember when Boris was elected the last time. I remember you and I talking and being like, right, that's it. Buckle up. We're in for decades of Tory government. This guy has it like sewn up. It's all like going his way. Yeah. There's no way that like someone like Keir Starmer can penetrate this at all. And that's it. 
we're done um and like I get that he was <sighs> I get he became a liability and that he was an embarrassment for the party and party gate and all that and like I think that the establishment in the Tory party failed to understand that part of his appeal was that he wasn't like a Tory politician. Yeah. Wasn't totally. He wasn't like David Cameron. And it is possible, I think, to survive those types of scandals like Partygate. Um, but what you can't, you can't survive destroying the entire currency. You can't survive a graph that shows the pound going like that. Mm. You know I mean, I I just feel like what they've they've actually they've given up power just to get rid of Johnson, and I think that like you will see defections to the Labour Party. I think that I've I spoke to, um, I spoke to a, a former Tory politician on the phone. It was a curious experience, um, for for something else that, that we're working on. Um, and he was basically like, the next prime minister will be Keir Starmer. It will mm. be, um, and he is sensible. And these are these are these are the adults. The adults are back. Mm. I mean, like that that kind of thing. Um, so I think that there will be some defections from like the kind of centre right of the Tory party into mm. the other centre right party. <laughs> no, no, I'm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it very much looks like that right now. Um, I mean, just to reiterate that point about Johnson, I, I I thought he had a lot going for him. He got rid of Corbyn. He had invaded a lot of the Labour's traditional mm-hmm. seats. He'd established, I mean, it's overstated somewhat because actually what happened is a lot of Labour voters stopped voting. They didn't, um, they didn't all just affect to the Tories. But to some extent, he had created a new kind of class alliance around himself and the concept of getting Brexit done and so on. He'd purged the party of his enemies. Uh, and I think most importantly, he'd moved away from some of the more doctrinaire attitudes of the Tories in recent in the past decade. So his levelling up agenda... He's, um, he was up for greater state involvement and all kinds of stuff that's been completely forgotten now. Like he even had a, he had a policy of, of the state taking sh- uh, shares in sort of businesses of like all sizes, like medium and all sorts. So he had, a, there was a certain vision. It was very confused. It was, it was never sort of driven through. There was party and establishment resistance to it, to an extent, particularly from, you know, like the treasury and so on. He'd also put his own man in the treasury, at least that's what I'd thought uh, at the time. So I thought, yeah, the Tories have this decade, right? And it's because, and I was saying at the time, the Tories have this luxury that they don't need to be dogmatic. They can make make a turn to a a more statist approach if they want, because they have the ear of the business elite. They can make that argument and so on. It's easier for them to do that than it is someone like Corbyn. Hmm. Um, but now nah, they threw it all away. But then maybe that was a misunderstanding on my part of just how volatile the present period is, and that there isn't really this kind of pragmatic path towards a stable political hmm. center, a reorganization of a stable political center. Um, so yeah, and and now I mean the Tories have thrown it away. I mean I think they seem exhausted now. 
um, Sunak's back with austerity and all the same arguments that we were hearing in 2010 are back in 2022, like it was yesterday. We can't burden future generations with uh, the debts that we have accumulated. Yeah, but you said that 12 years ago. Yeah. And according to you, you've made no progress in yeah. 12 years towards reducing the deficit, right? The debt and the deficit. So, and I, you know, I just don't think it's going to wash a second time. I don't think it's going to work that way. Um, I certainly hope not. But, I mean, the media is pathetic, just relaying all this stuff all over again. That argument. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a very strange, it's that thing again about the distortion of time and our perception of time. It's so bizarre to be back here in 2012 again with that wing of the party in charge again, 2012, 2022, but it's so bizarre 12 years later to have those same arguments back, the same faction back in charge of the country, saying that the country must do exactly the same thing after 12 years of enormous turbulence. Yeah. So and, strange. And, like, remember also, like, how that period then impacted the independence referendum in Scotland? Because mm -hmm. I think that that was one of, like, the biggest driving factors was this idea of, like, there are no alternatives to these austerity programs at Westminster. These are two sides of the same coin. We are now exactly back to that that place. Mm -hmm. um, the democratic deficit is now even more apparent. Um, I, I don't know what would happen in the next general election, but hey, isn't it great that we've got an independence referendum in October next year? Uh, no, <laughs> That's, that is also weird, by the way. I mean, that is also a real man. Because see, if I was if I was like a nationalist politician, I would mm. be seizing this opportunity, being like, "See, like here we are, we're back, right?" So suddenly, a lot of the arguments around like if only Labour would return to the left, do you know what I mean? Then, um, then that would fix things, right? Labour's had this moment. Corbynism's done. It's gone. It's it's failed. Like I don't think I don't see anything like that coming back at any time in the near future. We're now in a situation where at Westminster, regardless of who is in power, there is going to be austerity. There is no way that Keir Starmer is not going to like implement the same type of economic policies that the Tories are talking about just now. And mm. if I was a nationalist, I would be using this moment to say, we need independence now. Like We need to break from the system that is completely riddled with chaos. And we need to, do you know what I mean? And none of that is happening. Well, like it's, it's less than a year away. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's not, I think, 11 and a half months. I think it's the 19th. Tell me when the date is for this stupid non-happening non referendum again. Is it the 19th of October? Right, well, uh, it's definitely not going to happen. We've been saying that for about two years. Uh, <laughs> I, I take it most people now know this. Uh, it's sort of hard to, to gauge. Um, but I mean, I, I, I'll tell you one thing I have noticed. I'm on some sort of like legacy Facebook groups from like 2014. And one of the things that you start to see is like people now saying the secret polls showing that we are, that, that it's 76% yes, 80% yes, all this kind of stuff. So there's a like, in what remains of the independence movement, I think there's a degree of like, 
detachment from reality of that online section anyway that's the only way i think in which you can maintain um a level of belief that there's an independent referendum on the way which is that there's a whole world of i mean i was told for example that um nicholas sturgeon's engaged in in secret uh, negotiations to hold a referendum so it's sort of q anonymous territory at this point there's almost so, sorts of stuff going on that we don't know about which is going to lead to an independence referendum. That's the last straw. That's the last desperate, you know, attempt to, to make, uh, you know, to make sense of the idea that there's going to be an independence referendum. For the much wider element of SNP voters, I think it doesn't move beyond the symbolic anymore. Symbolically, we don't like Westminster. The SNP represent our disenfranchisement and our distrust of Westminster. We're going to keep voting for that, but it's it's very symbolic, and it's very much how like how people vote Scottish Labour, decade after decade, yeah. to project their to loads of loud hail their disgust at the Conservative Party, yeah. and a sense I mean people forget Scottish Labour had a kind of national thing as well, you know most most mm-hmm. Scottish Labour voters as we found out since the twenty fourteen referendum, very large percentage of them. They are small end nationalists, yeah. and they always were. They, they, um, they, they are people who, voting Scottish Labour, both indicated that they were not part of Tory, yeah, Britain. But the well, Britain bit was kind of an important part. They're not part of London, you know. Yeah. What I mean, not well, part of Westminster. I looked at this recently, um, where I was looking at the um, Scottish Social Attitude Survey of people who say they're like Scottish and not British and just charting that over time and mm. like ironically it's at it's, it's at it's one of its lowest points in 2014 like people saying Scottish not British yeah. it's highest during the Thatcher years yeah it's not British is highest during the Thatcher years and I think that that's exactly what you're talking about is that people who voted Scottish Labour, like that kind of cohort, like anti-Tory sentiment, were still like small and nationalist. No, absolutely. And it's not, that's not a surprising statistic to me. You would feel very Scottish in the Thatcher period because of some of the policies that she pursued, because of the the nature, I think, of the impact of the industrialisation on national identification. Um, and And it's also this is part of the problem with national consciousness in Scotland is that it's fundamentally defensive. It's fundamentally, it's not offensive. It's not like, it doesn't need to be this thing where you're constantly striking out for national independence and autonomy and a a vision of yourself and so on. It can also just be this thing where you define yourself separately. And that's like a defensive mechanism by which you protect yourself from the attacks that yeah. your community is under and so on um which you know has been a strength in times and has also been a, a real a, a really severe weakness for national consciousness but it does explain how you can have a party in scotland in power for 15 years and um their their supposedly guiding mission has broken down but they're still cruising along i mean their their poll posi- polling position in recent polls for all that the polls have been crazy and showing the Tories at record lows and so on, haven't budged, right? Mm. The surge for Labour would probably mean that if a general election were held tomorrow, the SNP would lose some seats. But that wouldn't necessarily because be because they are 
votes would go down dramatically. I mean, they're, they're holding pretty steady. It's, it remains a remarkable phenomenon. And you need a kind of political psychology analysis to understand why that's happening. You can't possibly, and I never see people try and make the claim that, people, that the SNP remains popular electorally because it's successful as a, a party on policy terms or um, on in terms of independence. There's no way you can argue that uh, at this point. Uh, everyone knows the long litany of failures. What they have going for them is that they are the Scotland party, no, yeah. not, not necessarily the independence party, I have to say yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, so we're still trapped in that situation. And my enduring feeling has been that that situation will persist until it doesn't. Right, like with Scottish Labour, it persisted decade after decade until all of a sudden, under certain circumstances, and this is the problem though, with an alternative, it's all of a sudden Scottish Labour lost its purpose. Yeah. There was very little between the politics of Scottish Labour and the SNP, they're very similar to each other, but one of them was tarnished and one of them wasn't. One of them was associated with this national movement. Mm. that resisted austerity and, and so on. Um, what displaces the SNP, it's very hard to see because the, the other Hollywood parties are a complete joke. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Yeah, the other Hollywood parties are... Uh, I mean, well, let, let's start with the Greens. Mm. Um, have you ever eaten at the Loon Funk? Oh, this is. I bet that I bet their business has gone up. Oh lot. no, it has. It has because there are definitely people like on my Instagram stories who are going to the Loon Fung just to say "fuck you, Ross Greer." <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's really weird. Um, I don't really understand why so many European green parties do this, right? What the anti-Chinese stuff? Anti-Chinese, anti-Russia. What what is the attract? I see. I don't want to say this because it makes you sound like it makes you sound like one a kind of twenty tens online feminist, right? Of the kind of when people used to write for things like Jezebel and stuff. This is like an article in Jezebel, but <laughs> like see with Ross Greer, right? And with and with figures in like the German Green Party, I can't help but feel there's an element of like frustrated masculinity in all this. Like, I can't, I just can't like see it in a different way because these are guys like, you know, like Ross is like really into like comic books and lightsabers and Warhammer and stuff, right? It's very much this kind of like video game generation radicalization, right? I, there's a thing he does that I've noticed that I know a, a lot of nerdy guys on Twitter do this. Nerdy guys who are really into the war right they'll say things like oh ex-russian town is um a legitimate military target right lmt legitimate military target they use all this kind of military language which they've learned from hollywood films and video games right but to discuss a real war where people are actually dying and they're talking of course i mean so that that bridge that links Russia to Crimea that got blown up, right? It's a legitimate military target. What the fuck would you know about that? 
you're talking about a piece of like you're talking about a piece of civilian infrastructure that people draw like drive trucks along right yeah. this isn't now, this isn't a tabletop gate board game this isn't this isn't your fucking space marines right on that bridge this is people right and then of course what happens after the bridge is bombed is there are retaliatory strikes on ukrainian cities right to see people celebrating Owen Jones did this. Owen Jones is like that. The bridge is a legitimate military target. Stop treating this like it's a game. It's not a game, right? And it, I, I do think, see what the, I mean, the Greens are fucking, in Germany, they are so weird, right? They're hyper, like, pro-military. And they've somehow tried to kind of blend this all in with their environmental, kind of corporate environmentalism thing. I don't, I don't get it. Like, why... How is it that people spent a lifetime as hippies, right? And also they're into a bunch of sick stuff, like um, they're into kind of fields of kind of psychoanalysis, like the base psychoanalysis about how everyone's oppressed and we need to like abolish the family, parents oppress their children. You go from this kind of ultra hippie liberation thing, right, to a veneration of military violence. Yeah. It's a very, like, it's a very kind of peculiar kind of unity of opposites. Do you know what I mean? You go soy boy hard enough that you start to yearn um, sort of this kind of, like, martial culture and stuff. Ross Creer's, like, I always, I do enjoy following his tweets for this reason. During the um, retreat from Afghanistan, uh, which, of course, um, I mean, Graham must be frustrated that he can't be more militarist. And he is actually driving a policy push in the Greens right now to make them more pro-arms industry and stuff, right? But whilst the SNP were calling for troops to remain in Afghanistan, the Greens just didn't say anything, right? Mm -hmm. Because their instincts, I presume, with the SNP in that, they're basically pro-humanitarian like intervention, but they're not quite at the place yet where they can say that openly. Mm -hmm. They can't quite say, yes, war for feminism, right? So instead, what Greer did is he provided a running commentary of various military developments in Afghanistan where he would sort of um, big up the warlords behind the puppet government and say, there's this guy, Dostum, who's a famous warlord who was part of the, the <laughs> like, Mujahideen, like, back in the day, uh, and it was part of our puppet government that the West established in Afghanistan. And he was like, oh, you know, this guy's serious. He's the business. And then and then he would like, um, when there was a, a kind of short-lived resistance to the, to the Taliban in the Pangaea Valley, as there often is, and uh, he was like, oh, you know, don't mess with these guys. These, This is a serious resistance. Talking up all these, like, all these obscure paramilitary actors in Afghanistan so that was how he coped with not being able to sort of argue for uh, continued NATO presence in Afghanistan but I just I just think it's weird I mean I don't I, I it's again I'm, I'm like a 2010s Jezebel feminist and I'm getting worried about men's online radicalization <laughs> like I don't know if you've seen this phenomenon it's called North Atlantic Fellows Organization so like NATO, but NAFO, right? And it's a bunch of like teenage boys who support Ukraine. 
but they support NATO, obviously, right? And like they they are they they always they have this thing on Twitter where all their accounts are like little cartoon dogs, and they are doing all this, and there's thousands of them. They are doing all this. They're talking about it like it's a video game. They're mm. talking about and they're they're using memes. They'll post videos of people being blown up and stuff, right? Treating it on that level. I mean, I've seen these people. The 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 war in Ukraine has exploded out into a series of peripheral wars. Um, one of which was on the border of Azerbaijan. Hang on, which which theater am I thinking of here? It's led to a series of conflicts, right? And I've seen people posting pictures of like uh, prisoners of war in those sideline conflicts. Like there's there's been fighting on the border of like Kosovo and Serbia. Uh, there's been fighting elsewhere in the kind of Russian periphery. And I'm just thinking like, why are you a 15 year old boy with a little cartoon dog in your Twitter profile posting pictures of tortured prisoners of war? I mean, it's it's mukbang levels of disgusting. Yeah. It's worse, obviously, but it's like yeah, it's definitely worse. <laughs> it's definitely. uh, it, it's it's that it's that same kind of like, I feel like social media has has reached a level of that kind of depression spiral, yeah. where everyone's addicted to it for quite kind of dark well, reasons. The, but like you're talking about video games, this is the thing. Remember that Charlie Brooker like top video game series where he said that Twitter was the number one video game, like yeah. it's. The, do I mean it's the most successful game of all time because it, it has the same elements of like quest that mm. video games have um which is a nice segue onto our final topic right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. actually been quite unable to get back into twitter because I've been like kind of out the loop with what's going on but I have been compelled by the recent uh the recent takeover I made some predictions about that Elon Musk takeover about how certain people would react to it uh-huh. And I would just like to take this opportunity to say I was right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So like, you mean- I said that there would be some liberal commentators, I may have mentioned some names, who were like, well, I just won't be um, giving Elon Musk any of my special takes or content and I will be moving over to a new platform as soon as possible. And that's exactly what happened. Like... I'm sorry, but you're that's that's what the right did when Trump got kicked off. Like they made that other Twitter, like right oh, yeah, yeah. Twitter, whatever the fuck it was, um, not successful. You can't just build a social media platform like that. It's just not how it works. Of course not. It takes huge investment, knowledge, data. Like uh, it takes a huge whack of capital. It takes the type of capital that someone like Musk has to make that successful. You can't just go off and, and freelance it. But yeah, it's telling that like it's telling of a certain type of political polarization that people keep trying to do that. Make a left wing Twitter, make a right wing Twitter. What's the point? <laughs> I mean, just on reason, any level. The, but the reason people are like obsessed with Twitter is because it's pure aggro as fuck. I know. Do you know what I mean? It's like either you're getting like sheer abuse and on some subconscious level you like it and um, i'm not saying that you active like people actively enjoy it but you wouldn't go back for more unless there was some part of your i know that's very freudian but there was some part of your psyche that got a thrill out of it or some kind of enjoyment or you're doing passive aggressive like what's what's the word for it again it's not because on facebook it's like vague booking but it's like do you know what i mean like subtweeting part- 
sub yeah like passive aggressive subtweeting about people in the hope that they'll secretly notice um or you're like do you know what I mean there's like the the whole reason for its success is the polarization of it yeah do you know what I mean and that's like when you look at accounts that you know are the the tweet all the time or get successful like I'm sorry but see if someone what right I've, I get snash on Twitter. I do, right? Um, not as much as I used to. Um, but, like, see if someone had, like, this is, this is so shitty. This is shite power. I'm really sorry. Um, see if someone had, like, 10 followers and was like, you're a fucking red Tory scum slag, right? Mm. I wouldn't retweet them with, like, a sort of sassy put down. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, that just looks fucking manky. Do you know what yeah. I mean? First of all, this is someone who has no followers. Like, they're, they don't use the platform. Do you know what I mean? They're just, like, firing off bullshit. Like, this is not, it ain't not worth my time. It's not, a, I just, do you know what I mean? I'm just like, I don't want to, I mean, imagine looking like you cared is, is the thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just hate all that, like, sassy put down and, like, mm-mm. It, it drives me nuts. I think it's really embarrassing. I wish people would stop doing it because it gives me secondhand cringe. I suspect we'll, all of us who have used Twitter will feel embarrassed about it in a few years' time. That's my strong suspicion, right? It's one I can't shake, um, is this feeling of... Is, I read a really good piece by Sam Chris oh, yeah. on his, his Substack where he makes, I think he's going a bit far, but he makes the argument that he thinks basically, that, well, he says the internet's going to die, right? I, I don't, I mean, he's a very kind of poetic writer. Maybe he doesn't, doesn't mean it in the sense that it will literally cease to be there, but it will cease to be um, the cultural fixation that it has been. I think that is true, if that is the argument. I think that a certain type of literary and conversational and political and cultural life will move off of the internet and and i I certainly hope so right because um it already feels very degraded it already feels like it's very exhausted i mean twitter to me from what i'm looking at seems exhausted like none of the none of the old controversies really incite very much interest anymore you see new controversies and you just think, I don't care about this. I don't want to get involved in this. I don't want to talk about this. The Musk thing, I mean, on that level, like, I don't think I've tweeted about that, right? And I probably never will because you're unlikely to find sophisticated or interesting opinions on it. Do you know what I mean? You just find, like, what you're saying, like, people going nuts about it. So I've got I've got a few, like, really crazy trolls, Right who will oh, one of them, you do you do have some like unhinged shit oh man i mean some of it has actually been insane recently can i please read out just the text of that fucking tweet that you got uh-huh, yeah right so this was accompanied by a very disturbing image which like that less said about that the better yeah um but it was in response to something quite like, what was it you were even talking about? You were talking There's a about- bunch of strange conspiracy theorists who will respond to anything I talk about, right, with their <laughs> with their own obsessions. With their hobby horse. Yeah, yeah. Which is a Twitter experience in itself, do you know what I mean? You'll have loads of people saying, like, uh, 
oh, I see there a tweet about the war there. Um, but uh, how does that relate to um, drag queen story? Or do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's this one like where like someone's commented into your tweet about satanic pedophiles. Uh huh. Um, I didn't tweet about satanic pedophiles. No, of course you didn't. Yeah. Of course you didn't. You, you, David, you literally only tweet about war. Mm. Right? Not in a sort of, it's a legitimate military target sort of way. No, no. You're just like, all of your tweets are like, how dumb the war in Ukraine is and why can't we just end it, right? That's my, that's my dumb, broad take on like summing up your tweets. Some, someone tweeted, do you even know what's going on, Porky? Or did you follow Stasi rule and take bioweapon like good little piggy? <laughs> good little piggy. I mean, <laughs> you, you can almost feel the anger directed at someone who, like, you never met. Do you know what I mean? Um, taking <laughs> the Stasi bioweapon, which I assume is a reference to the vaccine. It must be the COVID vaccine. But who knows? Who knows? Um, so no, yeah, I get quite a lot of stuff like that. Um, but I that just adds to my general feeling that the medium is in decline. There seems to be a a, a growth in the abundance of people with very strange kind of conspiracy theory type attitudes expressing them very angrily. Um, but besides that, it's just I don't know. It looks like a wasteland to me. But into this wasteland has come Elon Musk. Is he the world's richest man? I mean, like, I think he might be. He's up there in, anyway. in a sense, but like, you know how there's like always people are richer than Elon Musk, but who are too old money to like actually talk about it. The other thing as well is like, what is like, this? Musk world? is a bit crass, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, the thing about Musk is like, he can say he's the richest man in the world, but a lot of that is like prospective wealth. It's, it's, it's fake money. Yeah, it's based on like massively overinflated estimations of his various companies, right? Which have never made a profit. Yeah, <laughs> like Twitter. Twitter has made a profit, I think, in one year since it since it launched. So he's paid forty four billion um, for Twitter, which he's had to go into considerable debts to do. Right? I mean, it's he's angry at his ex girlfriend. Well, some people say, wait, wait, he's he's bought his favorite medium of communication um and claims he's going to set it free he's going to stop all the censorship and and so on we'll see what he does with that also claimed that he's going to make blue ticks he's going to charge them eight dollars or whatever right? which um is i mean it's charlish but it's quite you can see why he thinks it's that's a fun idea it's magnificent I, um, I think it's honestly like the funniest idea and also, like, full disclosure, having a blue tick, right? Do you know, I think that blue ticks became really cringe and really unfashionable about three to four years ago. Mm. And since then, I've been like, how do I get rid of my blue tick? You got an easy way out. So now I'm like, praise be, Mr. Musk. Like... I don't because I don't want my blue tick anymore because I don't want to look like a right for Jezebel. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to look like like part of that like liberal commentariat, which is exactly what he's talking about. Obviously, more people than that have blue ticks, but he's deliberately doing this to wind up those people. And I think it's genuinely funny. Yeah. So the blue tick, as I understand it, in theory, 
it's to stop people imitating you and there's yeah. probably some people for whom that makes a certain sense but a large majority of blue ticks are people with relatively small twitter accounts who are say journalists for a small liberal outlet right and what, so passive aggressive so cool what, so what good. the uh, what the blue tick signifies for them is that they're they're above the heart mm. you know what i mean they're not a normal twitter account yeah. in theory at least they're famous they're famous enough they're a micro celebrity they're famous enough to need this to stop yeah. people imitating them whereas previously in defense of the blue tick like getting a blue tick used to mean that your tweets were amplified all oh, right so like when we were doing like radical indie stuff like mm. like someone said to me who was involved in like the press operations was like you should try and get a blue tick because that means every time you tweet it gets like pushed up by the algorithm right blue tick accounts are pushed to the front but that's like the algorithm's changed about like a million times since then and i don't think that happens anymore so there was actually like there was actually like a legitimate purpose in having a blue tick and if you were a journalist it meant that your news stories were probably going to get more clicks mm. it's become like a cultural marker of like of elitism i think mm -hmm. no i obviously is right and it's obviously this and it's hilarious to watch people saying like i need this to defend myself from violence do you know what i mean all <laughs> this stuff um and and that's they're already sort of laying out the the grounds on which they excuse paying their eight dollars a month, right? Because the the ones who are saying I need this because of violence, I need this because I'm going to be subject to some sort of like misogynist attack on Twitter or racist attack or something. They are people who are already preparing their excuses for 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 buying status basically on Twitter, right? And these are mostly people for whom $8 a month is nothing anyway, right, obviously. Um, but because, because at that point it's explicit. I mean, if you have 10,000 Twitter followers, right, and you're buying a blue tech for your account, it's explicit that you're full of yourself at that point. <laughs> it could be ignored up to this point, but it can't be ignored um, yeah. beyond that point. Um, so that's obviously what he's done, and he's obviously enjoying that. I think it's almost more about this than it is about raising revenue uh on the other hand he is about to sack loads of people i mean as we are recording this people are getting their letters uh, he's i mean he's doing what new owners are very often do in companies which are failing to achieve profitability the first thing to do is attack your outgoings and the most important outgoing is paying for labor um so he's sending emails to, I mean, people forget about Elon Musk, by the way, that he was briefly a hero for the left, right? Years and years ago, there was this attitude of like, Elon Musk is a new type of billionaire. He's young, he's, you know, cutting edge, uh, he's a philanthropist, he promised to alleviate world hunger. This, you know, people forget that basically every rich person has said stuff like this at some point. So he was briefly seen as like a different type uh, of billionaire, as new money often is, representing new values or a new trajectory for the system, whatever. That's obviously bollocks, right? He's trying to make Twitter turn a profit by cutting the workforce. In fact, I think he's going to be sued 
all over the place because he's uh claim is he's breaking employment law right so uh he's not giving people enough notice and etc at least that's what the people presenting the lawsuits are claiming i think there's one going ahead in california already and so on um so but i do think it's interesting in the sense that this is a very i mean there's a there's an open debate about how important something like twitter is like to the reproduction of ideas in society people like to knock it and say it's total nonsense it's a tiny bubble uh it influences nothing but a small layer of people in the world i think that's true but i actually think communication within that small layer is important to how society works how society decides what its ideas are how it reproduces them it's an open channel for people i mean the the biggest kind of chunk of folk in that 10% of users who make up the overwhelming you know tr traffic on twitter a big chunk of them are journalists a big chunk so it's quite interesting in the sense that it's kind of like a global canteen for people who work in the media industry to come and talk about what their moral attitudes are their political attitudes are and how they should be represented in the in the media i don't necessarily think that's unimportant to like mm -hmm. how ideological reproduction works in the modern social order so i actually think it's quite interesting that a billionaire who's actually quite hostile to quite a lot of those people has come along and bought up that service and tried to make it tried to make it profitable it could actually be quite interesting to see what happens here um i'm not jumping to say he's going to kill it or whatever the idea as well by the way that the new management is much more venal, venal than the old management as i understand it some of the biggest like shareholders in twitter up until now have been like saudi royals right really? <laughs> yeah so if i'm not wrong i mean this is another case of us not doing our research but i I think hey, that's might... why the service is free. Yes, that's why this service is free. Uh, <laughs> if I, I'm not, I know the Vanguard Group has major holdings on Twitter. It may be, I stress, maybe the one that has significant oil money. But I do know that there's a lot of Gulf oil money involved in it, and very many, um, like, like applications on the internet, popular applications. Uh, oil funds are very heavily invested in all this stuff. And that has a bearing on the politics of the media. Like, there's a reason why Twitter has an overwhelming kind of Western government bias in its in it in how it does politics. It's a reason why, if you work for the BBC, it doesn't say British state media under your profile, the same way it says Iranian state media or Russian state media, including under the names of people, by the way, who are not Russian state media or Iranian state media. They just disagree with the west right um so but the, the 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 reason behind that isn't just that obviously things like twitter are inevitably regulated by countries like the united states it's also that the money behind it has distinctive geopolitical interests and so on so the idea that musk is um who is himself obviously part of the axis of western power and so on is some great new departure i think is probably nonsense whether he'll be competent is anyone's guess because as we've just say, said like his companies don't have a strong track record of turning profits just as twitter doesn't we live in an era where businessmen uh of that top flight are not particularly well known for turning profits good at attracting investment not necessarily 
producing socially valuable goods for which people are willing to put our company in long-term profitability. Um, so we'll just need to see. I'm going to tweet Elon Musk and ask him to uh, ban mukbang. See if he'll see if he'll ban people stuffing their faces on on video. Yeah. yeah. Reinforce some some girl interrupted level nineties uh, moral and aesthetic values. <laughs> I don't know who's sick, me, you, or the rest of the world. Who knows? Just different types of sick, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, that's all my brain has time for. Yeah. Okay. It was well, good speech again. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's pod again soon. Yeah, I'll try and rebuild your brain over time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I will. I think that the I needed to get over this initial hurdle, mm. um, and yeah, then we'll be on a bit of a roll. I think we should do some kind of Christmas special. Definitely. Um. Right, we'll just see how it goes from there. Okay, sounds good. I'm going to stop this recording.